Welcome to Behind the Confident Smile. I am your host, Bianca Cotton, and today we will be talking about climbing the workplace ladder as a woman of color with special guest, Danielle Smith. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Of course. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Because I know your journey, but well, <laughs> this is, you're this a little bit more excited than me, right. probably, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I said that you are because this is a personal friend of mine. So this is a topic that is near and dear um, to us. We have plenty of conversations around this. Right? Yes. So let's take it back to childhood with your... Uh, with you being in school and in the educational field, what was your journey like uh, in school? To sit here now and look at where I've come from, I'm so surprised I picked a field in education, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I struggled to feel enough in school daily. Now, on top of that, I had a lot of other traumatic things going on in my background and in, in my family life. But in school, I went to a Catholic school from kindergarten to eighth grade. And it was just interesting because I think I've always kind of had, you know, maybe some issues with staying focused, right? And I wasn't always quick to answer like other kids, but I wanted to answer, but it took me longer to process to answer a question. So I struggled to think that I was stupid or that I something was wrong with me because it, it I just didn't look like my other white peers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And so education for me was challenging uh, because I didn't think I needed it. And on top of going through all of the things that I was going through at home and then not feeling popular in high school, feeling weird outside because I've also a mixed, so black and white. So I felt like I struggled to fit in in different settings with different groups. And being mixed wasn't as common, right? Like I was one of two in my classroom growing up from kindergarten to eighth grade. Uh, It definitely was more prevalent when I was in high school. Um, But even going through high school and having depression and struggling with, uh, okay, I'm smart here because I'm not in a Catholic school anymore. I'm in a public school. So I transitioned from Catholic to public. And everyone in the Catholic school said, oh, she'll do fine in the public school, right? She's she's going to do fantastic. And I was. I was number nine, number 10 in my class, sophomore year. You know, so I did do good um, being in a public school setting, um, whatever that means right. to other people. <laughs> We're going to unpack that we in a minute. We will unpack that. Um, but... Once I started becoming, um, getting great grades and kind of finding myself, I became a great perfectionist. I had to always get an A or a B. I cried when I got my first C. And I think my first C was my junior year of high school, right? So that mindset that I had to be on top formed in elementary school because I always felt like I was at the bottom. So as soon as I got a taste of getting fantastic grades, it was like, all right, this is where I have to stay (laughs) always. And when that didn't happen, that kind of made me plummet, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and take a lot of rejection in for myself. And um, I rejected myself often if I didn't do the best or do the best I thought I could or do what I thought thought other people were looking for me to do. So, oh, wow. 
Yeah. You a just lot. said a lot. I said a lot. But I, I, I want to go back to the Catholic to public school transition and saying, oh, she will do well in public school. What do you think people meant by that? I think what they meant by that was that the curriculum supposedly is not as difficult, right? Or maybe um, who was teaching. I'm not really sure what they meant by it. Now being in the education field and looking at both, I would say that the public school system has to allow for space for kids that don't look like everybody else, right? You have special education, which was a lot of my job for um, 50% of my time of being in the field. I've worked with special education students. And so you have to allow for kids that don't look like everyone else that maybe learn a little slower or need some manipulative or some support. And so public school has to allow that. Private school doesn't necessarily have to conform to some of those mm. things. And so they need you as the student to conform to how they do things. Mm. I guess that's kind of what I see it as possibly, um, that maybe that they were thinking, oh, it would be more flexible for me. Um, I would have more opportunities to explore, more support, whereas it was more of one way of thinking and one way of doing mm. that and, and structured, very, very structured. So maybe that's the the way, but I'm not sure. I haven't gone back and asked those people what they, <laughs> you might want to. What they meant by that. So with your experiences and, and thinking, how did I end up in education? What was the connection for you? Like, uh, I didn't I didn't feel smart. I Mm -hmm. felt like I was at the bottom. And then when I went to high school, I started to advance. But then I plummeted when I had a C because I got used to having those A's and seeing a couple of B's. What happened between high school, college? And yes, I am going to. B.A. fill in the blank. (laughs) School social worker. That's where it came from. So what I can honestly say is relationship. Mm. It took people in high school that I had a relationship with. And I had good relationships with people in elementary school, too. I'm not saying I didn't. There were a few cute people there. But in high school, as I was transitioning, figuring out who I am, which I'm still doing to this day. (laughs) We evolve. (laughs) We evolve. But as I was going through that process of learning, trying to decide what was life going to look like after high school, um, the relationship with some key people. I had a French teacher, and I had a couple of school social workers, and I had another like counselor supporter uh, that was there at the high school. And I was always in the counselor's office. And I have to thank my mom for that, right? She (laughs) called because I was in the middle of depression. I didn't have an IEP or anything of that nature. Individual education plan, you know. (laughs) Right. I wasn't in special education. And that's typically who see the social workers. Um, But she called. And she said, my daughter is going through something. She's depressed. And the social worker went and pulled me out of class, began to form a relationship with me. And... One of the first things that came out of his mouth was, I don't want you to tell me what you think I want to hear. <laughs> I want you to tell me what's really going on on the inside. I was good with putting up, you know, um, a facade. This is how I know I'm supposed to look. And this is what I'm going to share with you. I know what you want to hear. So that's what I'm going to present. Sounds and like a trauma response to me. <laughs> sounds like a trauma response. And so 
that was the first person that I really trusted to be able to say, oh, you kind of throw me off with telling me I need to <laughs> dig deep. So I, I dug deep. And that relationship that I formed w- with him was allowed me to say, I want to be able to do that for other kids. Mm-hmm. I want to be that person that sits down, lets them know you're not the only one that has gone through this, right? And pushes them into what they're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know. I didn't know. Sitting back at the 18-year-old me, I had no clue this is where I would be. I didn't even think this was possible. And and I, that's a good reflection. I need to do that more often <laughs> because sitting here right now thinking about that, it's crazy. Um, and so I wanted to be able to provide that genuinely because I had met genuine people and I had met not so genuine people in uh, school when I was a student. And that's really where it took off. So right there, I'm trying to decide, do I want to be a psychiatrist? Do I want to be a cosmetologist? (laughs) I can't do hair for my life, so I'm glad I didn't go that route. But, or do I want to be a school social worker? And because of that relationship that I had, that's what I chose to do. Wow. And now, like, Fast forward 13 plus years later. 13 years in education. I don't look that old, do I? No, I don't. (laughs) So you went from when you first entered the field, you entered as a school social worker, correct? How long did you stay in that role before you elevated to your next role? I think I was in that role for six or seven years. Before I transitioned on to a dean, um, I had applied for the job maybe a year before I had gotten it, um, and I didn't get the position at that time. Uh, but yes, about six years as a school social worker. And I kind of knew it was time to move on, right? Like, I felt like I was doing good in my prov- profession. I felt like I um, have kind of met all of the goals that I had for myself in that profession. And I saw other problems. I was like, and I don't feel like I'm solving these problems as a school social worker. Mm-hmm. So that's where I wanted to go back to school and to be able to get my administrative mm-hmm. certificate. What problems did you see that you felt like you couldn't solve as a school social worker? So there's so many issues, right? But a lot of times I felt like decisions were being made at the top that were affecting everybody and trickling down to the bottom. And they couldn't see how it didn't quite fit for the people that were receiving them, for the kids, right? It's like, it felt like a disconnect. Mm. Um, I, I can't even pinpoint certain things. Now I, I can, but at that particular time, I don't know that it was curriculum. I don't know that it was processes or what it was, but there were things that I could see that were impacting the students and impacting the teacher. Maybe I could see the stress, right? I could see the stress. I could see um, the difficulties of them trying to get everything that they needed to get done. And I could see that the kids weren't necessarily getting everything that they needed. And the decisions were just affecting everybody. Mm. And some positive, some not so positive. And that's where I was like, maybe somebody needs to be reconnected. Maybe they need somebody that has been in the trenches, just a little bit different perspective. Um, And that's kind of where I started. So when you talk about someone with a different perspective, what perspectives were at that table at the time? I would say 
at the table at the time, the pre- predominantly were white males, females. Of course, there were Latinos um, and blacks involved, but there wasn't as many, or maybe they were older, maybe they weren't at quite my age, or had my background, right? So it's not typical to see a principal and a social worker together. Now, I did have the privilege of meeting one when I was interning <laughs> as a school social worker, and I really admired her. And so I think that also had a piece in why I decided to want to go back. Um, but the perspective of looking at a person, looking at their past, looking at uh, their social, emotional status and how they deal with things, that wasn't always something that was looked at at that table, right? Mm-hmm. I had that perspective, but I would say that that typically is put on the back burner. It's really the scores, you know, the test scores, mm-hmm. um, the curriculum, how are the kids doing, Um academically but what about the social piece what about the economic piece and yes I know that can't be the end-all be-all right we're not just going to put all of our resources into that one space but they all should equally take part in why we're making a decision Mm. and I didn't see that happening that's good so you you decided to apply to become a dean so you can impact the system yes i did so i had my certificate or i went back to school for my master's in educational administration and i had had it for two years two or three years and i had applied for a job the year prior and i didn't get it and so i was like okay well i'm going to keep trying someone actually had approached me and, and stated why haven't you applied before and i'm like well some of the qualifications that you're looking for i don't have but i do in other ways not just in the way that you're looking for it for it was almost like you could tell that they were writing things for particular people mm to be in particular positions so i went back and i went ahead and reapplied and i got the job and i was like oh this is great i'm excited you know i got an increase in income um so i was i was very excited about that process right <laughs> but i did not know what it was all going to entail. I was about to say, and the but, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. So. Dot, dot, dot. Another dot, dot. Right. So oh, what joys and challenges came with being a dean now? So, now you on the leadership side. Yes. So a lot of people can say I'm so sweet. Oh, you're so sweet, Danielle. So having to put up that, no, you're not going to do that. Why did you do that? <laughs> what are you doing as a dean, right? And, and providing discipline. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And I had a friend that talked to me and she was like, girl, please. (laughs) She was like, do you know you? And uh, you're capable of exerting your thoughts when you need to. Like, you have no problem with that. So just go with that. That will come out of you naturally. Um, I would say another challenge was understanding authority. Wow. (laughs) So I had worked in the same school district, moved up in the same school district. So different schools, but You know, you still build relationships, going to different buildings, seeing everybody all together. So I just thought like, oh, I have relationships. I'm good. Soon as you cross that threshold (laughs) and and now you're an administrator or you have some type of authority, some people are okay with that. Some people struggle. Some people automatically take you off of their list. (laughs) Like, I can't talk to you about certain things anymore because now you're in this realm of authority. So I really struggled. I felt like the black-headed stepchild or the bald-headed stepchild um, in the sense of 
what's what's wrong with a bald headed stepchild? What's wrong with looking different? What's wrong with being that? But I really felt like there was something wrong with me. <laughs> and mm. what did I just do? <laughs> but also joys, I did get to see some of the impact, right? The positive impact, some of the relationships, uh, the parents that were grateful and proud that I was present representing some of the kids and looking like some of the kids. Um, so there were joys. The relationship building for me has always been the piece. But now I didn't just have my 20 or 30 kids. I had 600. <laughs> right. 600 stat and plus staff. Plus staff. All the parents. All the parents. And your peers mm -hmm. across the schools. And all of my, yeah, across the schools, right? Other admin. Yep. So how did you navigate those relationships with your peers? I would say that I don't, I'm not a person that really struggles with uncomfortable situations. Like I do, but I don't. Like I go ahead and I push those boundaries. Like not in an uncomfortable uh, state or uncomfortable way, but I do tend to not, go ahead and I deal with the discomfort. You know, oh, this is an awkward moment. And I'll say, hey, this is an awkward moment, but I need to have this conversation. <laughs> right. Like, I'm okay with awkwardness. And I would say that I kind of sat back to see how people were going to respond. Um, at first, I just continued to be myself, but then I recognized that some people couldn't handle that. So I had to push back or pull back a little bit. Um, in relationship, I didn't continue to keep going out with some of the same people that I had built relationships with, but then I did build relationships with new people and I'm a connector. I want to make friends with everybody, right? Like, oh, how do we know each other? I think I remember you. And so now looking back, like, okay, you don't have to be with friends with everybody at work, <laughs> right? And I can see how that caused some issues for myself at the time. Um, but I definitely went in all my strengths, building rapport, getting to know people. And that helped me along the way. And when I had to adjust and say, okay, maybe we need to keep this completely work related, or we can have this conversation, but this can't be at work. Uh, so I had to put up boundaries uh, for myself and for others. Mm. That's good. I'm glad you you said the part around, like, I don't have to be friends with everybody at work. There was an article I was reading not too long ago, and it talked about one of the key metrics of success of a person retaining, staying at work is if they have a best friend. And this whole conversation around, do you become close with people that you work with? Uh, what does boundaries look like and how that can impact you if you move up, right? You're, mm -hmm. You are no longer their peer. Now you're their, their leader, their boss, their manager. So I'm glad that you talked about that. But you went up another level. Uh-oh, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> After Dean. Yes, After I being did. dean. And how, uh, talk about how long you were a dean before you moved up another level on your uh, journey. Okay, so I was a dean for three years, and then I moved up to assistant principal. But it was really weird because in between that, I was called assistant principal. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of the roles. I did a lot of the same things, but I just handled discipline. But Others supported the discipline, too, because it it could get busy, right? Like there's some days where you might have 
a fight, a couple of fights or a couple of issues and you've got like 20 kids you have to see, I need some help. So, <laughs> but I also evaluated staff and did different things. So um, I did move up into assistant principal um, title wise, but had it was all of the same duties. Mm -hmm. Nothing really switched for me, but I got a lot of congratulations, a lot of, oh, I'm proud of you. And I was like, but nothing's changing. Like mm -hmm. I felt like I had the same level of authority. I was making a little bit more, but not by much because um, I guess my, my principal at the time did a really good job of making us feel like a team. So I didn't necessarily feel less than outside of the title. Mm -hmm. The title made me feel less than. And of course, that's the purpose of titles, right? And the purpose of pay. Um, not necessarily to make you feel less than, but maybe to show who has more responsibility than others. Um, but I, I truly did um, have the same amount of responsibilities as mm -hmm. I switched over. Um, so the transition was fine for me, even though I really did go through a transition. I didn't think it would be one because I'm doing the same thing. But for everybody else and how they saw me, that is what changed. Right. Because the title changed. So how did that impact you, especially as a woman of color moving up the ranks in the educational field? I would say that I saw it across the board everywhere. Um, you know, I probably I don't know if it's that I didn't get jobs right away because of color. I don't know if it was that I didn't feel heard uh, because of color. I, I can't pinpoint all of that or if some of that had to be because of my background of social emotional. Um, but I can say that for part of the time I was working on a, a team where there were other people of color. And then there was part of the time where I was working on a team where there wasn't a whole lot. And I felt like I had to be the voice but then again, let's go back to me being mixed, <laughs> right. right? Where I always felt like um, in some situations I couldn't speak for being fully black because blacks sometimes have told me, oh, you're not, you're mixed. And I am, I'm mixed. I, I, <laughs> I love both sides of me. I appreciate, you know, the curliness to my hair and um, the fact that I like certain foods and, and all of that, the differences culturally that I have learned. That's who I am. Um, but I struggled to... I was the voice and I didn't have a problem with being the voice for people of color, but I don't know that I always felt respected in that. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that was because of being mixed or if that was because of that just didn't need to be a focus. Mm. I think a lot of times when you try to advocate, we need to do more programs, we need to look at this particular situation, or maybe you as a white admin shouldn't be handling this situation because this is seems like a racial situation. Maybe I should be handling it. That wasn't always respected, right? Mm -hmm. And... I don't know why it wasn't respected, but maybe deep down I do know why, right? And I think that it was that provided a lot of conflict for me because you can go back feeling like you're crazy. Am I really seeing racial right. issues? Or is this not a racial issue and this is just where these people are coming from? But then I began to dig into understanding racism. You don't have to say that you don't like a person of color or a certain race. It can be that you think people need to think the way you do. And when mm -hmm. they don't think and respond the way that you do, there's something wrong with them. And that's not okay. Right. And when I began to understand and dig into that, I began to see a lot, a lot of issues in regards to decisions and why things were not 
uh, heard from my standpoint. Um, but that's, I continue to speak up. I did lose my voice for a little bit in the sense of not wanting to always speak up because I felt like I was constantly speaking up mm -hmm. and I had a target on my back. So now I got to be quiet. Um, but then I began to walk back and understand more of my worth, understand more mm -hmm. of who I was and that I didn't need people to validate me. And that's what I was looking for. You walk into a job, you're not the, I'm not the principal, right? So I'm looking for validation to make sure that I'm doing what I need to be doing because I haven't fully been given all of the authority. I've been giving a piece of it. And I wasn't getting it the way that I needed. And I began to realize some of that had to do with my past, right? right. And I had to take a step back. And then when I started to, again, like I said, see my worth, that's when I began to speak up some more. Mm -hmm. And that's when I also <laughs> realized I needed to think about transitioning again. Right. So it, it sounds to me that um, focusing on your personal development helped your professional development. Yes, it did. It I'm going, I will tell anybody, when anybody asks about becoming an administrator, becoming any type of a leader, honey, <laughs> you are bracing yourself for change, for growth. You have to look inward. If you want to be an effective leader, you have to look at yourself. And that's why I believe that social, emotional, looking at people, their social and emotional intelligence is so important because they come with so much. You can't just say, oh, don't take it personal. Oh, just come in with your skills. But how I have my skill set is based off of my past. Mm. I'm bringing all of that with me. So we have to be able to learn how to work with people that have some of that baggage, not fully unload all of our bags <laughs> at the table at work, right? Because that's inappropriate completely. But learning how to also do that back work behind the scenes, I got into counseling. I was like, I need to get into therapy because being a leader began to challenge me in my insecure spaces. Um, it began to stress, began to challenge my body. So I needed to figure out how do I dig and, and heal some of this so that I can be more of an effective leader because I got into this in the beginning because of the kids. Right Now, I don't want to mess something up or affect something negatively because of my inner issues, right? Mm. And I'm grateful that I was able to see that. I mean, it took a couple of toss-ups with teachers and other people for me to be like, why did I respond that way? Oh, I felt insecure. I felt mm -hmm. like I wasn't being heard. Why do I struggle with that? Why do I blow up or why do I respond that way? I started to trace those things and then I began to trace those things and talk about those things with a professional. Mm. <laughs> I'm a professional, but I but also needed a professional. <laughs> yeah, therapists need therapists, social oh, yes. workers need social workers, moms mm -hmm. need other mom friends. Like, we need each other. I'm curious to know what caused you to start asking yourself those questions is it was it your social work background where you had the intuition or the just hmm why did I respond that way because that may not always be people's natural inclination to ask themselves why did I do that yeah I guess I feel like that's definitely how I've been built 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if some of that has to do with the childhood. I think a lot of it has to do with my gifts, right? And a lot of it has to do with what we're called to do. And um, I knew as a social worker, and I learned as a social worker, we're constantly evolving, we're constantly growing, we uh, have to be flexible. And so I don't know... I don't believe I picked up the reflective piece from anybody else that I've noticed or anything of that nature. I think a lot of it also being a Christian, you know, I also always evaluated myself because I wanted to be good. And so Mm. maybe some of that comes from my past. I want to be good enough. I want to be right. I want to be on top of it. I want to. Yeah, I I have to because I think the fix it mentality like, okay, there's always something wrong with me. I always have to fix it. And so that is actually something that I'm healing from now that I don't have to always be perfect. I don't always have to make the right decisions. But um, being reflective, there's nothing wrong with it. But you can't over. You can't overdo it. Overdo it. Yes. Mm. Well, well, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your professional journey and weaving your personal journey into the reasons why you climbed. Um, And it was to really help the educational system to better support and educate our young people at the heart of the matter. So thank you for being in that field. Thank you for using your lived experiences to change the trajectories for others. And thank you you for being here today. Yes, thank (laughs) you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Confidence Mountain Podcast with your host, Bianca Cotton. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. Let's grow our community, you all. Until next time on the podcast. Remember, we all have a story and a journey of what is behind your